today on Ag News Daily. We had two tornadoes, in fact, in eastern Iowa just the other day, which the earliest calendar year tornadoes to the state on record, but also the first January tornado since uh, January 24th, 1967. Listeners, welcome Wednesday, January 18th, Ag News Daily Edition here. Podcasts Tanner and Delaney from two different states, still down here at NACA, North American uh, Conservation and Drainage Expo. You're still in Hawaii, right? You haven't made it back? I haven't made it back yet, but I'm curious to know how your conference is going. You know, it's uh, it's good. You know, it's the first ever being put together. So attendance, uh, I'm impressed by a ton of drainage contractors, a lot of conservationists, a lot of no-till and organic farmers. Um, it's a different crowd. It's a lot of different exposure. Uh, it was a good day, full of a lot of information yesterday. Did you learn anything interesting or that stood out to you, Tanner? Well, I can't wait to share a conversation about uh, solar-powered lift stations. So a lot of drainage projects need to get excess water off, and uh, it is a battery-less solar-powered lift station, so that was kind of cool technology. Um, had a, a panel that we moderated around discussions about tenants paying for tile insulation versus the tenant-landlord relationship, so yeah, a co- couple of good sessions down here. Okay, well, that sounds pretty interesting. I can't wait to hear more. Did you get a sunburn? Not yet. Oh, yeah, I did, actually. The other day, I've been laying low from the sun. I think I'm ready to hit it again today. There you go. That's good. Well, most of our listeners are not going to have that problem. We still have our winter storm warnings in effect from northeastern Colorado into central Wisconsin this morning. Obviously, snow, wind, and ice are all expected in those areas. That's going to grasp us here back home. Delaney, about 3 o'clock is when our snow is supposed to hit. Central Nebraska has seen as much as 17 inches of snow in their forecast, and winds are potentially going to gust up to 40 mile an hour, making it very hard and visibility very low, so transportation will be difficult. Five to eight inches of snow is expected in northern Iowa, southern Minnesota. Moderate to heavy snow is then continuing to push out. Light ice accumulations towards the outskirts edges of this storm will be possible. So uh, we've got some areas here in the Midwest and northern Midwest region that travel may be very difficult. Yes, I am not envious of folks that are going to have to be dealing with that today, but that is going to be a a big storm here, Tanner. could be probably the biggest one we see this season. Oh, yeah, it very well could be. Very well could be, but I know we're going to get an update here on weather patterns uh, later this week on the podcast with a voice we haven't heard in quite some time. Tanner, I suspect we're going to touch on whether or not we will see a La Nina weather update or will will if we will see a complete shift out of a la nina pattern we're still continuing to see that the la nina pattern is fading but how quickly is it fading and do we switch right away into an el nino pattern or do we stay into a neutral pattern is going to be a good question to ask here later this week yes it will it's always something that will be ever changing obviously we think we're in a in a very secure weather pattern and all kinds of variables can pop up. Also wanted to share with our listeners, Delaney, the U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen sent a warning up that by Thursday, if lawmakers don't raise the debt ceiling, the $3.14 trillion estimated debt ceiling, the U.S. could run out of cash by mid-June. So if the nation's debt hits that marker, it's on track to do so by tomorrow. The Treasury will need to use extraordinary measures to help pay for government operations and avoid avoid historic default. 
that could be measures such as redeeming existing and suspending new civil service retirement and disability fund tickets, postal service retiree health benefits fund tickets, and suspending the reinvestment of government securities into their investment G fund. So two things that we do not want to see happen could allow for part of the U.S. budget to be prolonged. But if there's not decision made by Congress, then we will look at an issue here with our debt ceiling hitting its max by tomorrow. According to Yellen, Congress has already provided the Treasury Department the authority to implement those two steps that I just described. But she says prior to those implementations and measures being put into place, that will only be a Band-Aid for a much larger wound. So hopefully we get some things figured out by Congress. I'm sure there will be a vote passed just to up that debt limit. Yeah, just in the nick of time as per usual too, I'm sure, Tanner. Yeah, it's always seems like it's a surprise to our legislators yes. when it's not, you know, it's very, <laughs> very forecasted and very strategic. Yes, absolutely. Tanner, I have a, just a quick update here on the producer price index, which is a little different than the consumer price index, but the producer price index fell a half a percent month over month in December down three-tenths of a percent gains from the previous month. And the producer price index was up 6.2% year over year in December. Like I said, down from November and where analysts were expecting us to be, but core PPI was up five and a half percent year over year. And that was really notated due to some declining energy prices as one of the primary reasons for the improving inflation numbers. And uh, similar to what we've seen here on the consumer price data side as well. But we also saw retail sales fall 1.1% month over month in December, which was worse than the eight tenths of a percent decline that analysts were expecting. The November data was revised to show a six tenths of a percent decline. And uh, again, retail sales are showing steady declines, sl slow declines is the key there but retail sales minus vehicles and gas for November uh, were part of the reason that they revisited that. The bottom line here, Tanner, is how will members of the Federal Reserve specifically interpret this data? Yeah, that will be interesting to see how that plays into not only their next meetings, but also their press releases, which then will get you know, considered and reevaluated by economists throughout the world. China, however, is extending their anti-dumping tariffs on U.S. dry distillers grains imports for another five more years. U.S. Grains Council CEO Ryan states this was disappointing news, but not a surprise. We kind of expected this outcome, he stated. They file a defense on behalf of the industry, as they typically do with these types of cases in the anti-dumping and countervailing duty cases. Obviously, we know tensions are high between China and the U.S. currently. But this just mounted to a very minimal defense mechanisms because they already knew it was coming. In order to keep the tariffs, they look like they will amount to almost a 66% hike in cost to use USDDGs. The grand told Brownfield in China was a user of five to seven million tons, but has not been a strong buyer in the last five years from the US. Even when these tariffs were initially put into place, the DDG market was finding other buyers, and they look to continue to do that over the next five years. So not great news there on the DDG front, but we officially know that those tariffs will be in place for another five years.
Tanner, not great news on the soy processing front either. Uh, the latest NOPA report shows that only 177.5 million bushels of soybeans were processed in December, which is down from 179.2 million bushels the previous month and down pretty significantly from where analysts were expecting to see December numbers, which was supposed to clock in at a 182.9. Historically, we see NOPA soybean crush numbers increase in the month of December, but this time it decreased, which could be alarming. Not quite there to ring the alarm bells yet. But uh, NOPA specifically accounts for about 94 to 95% of all U.S. soy crush. And this estimate puts the marketing year soybean crush roughly 15 million bushels below the seasonal pace needed to hit USDA's target. So I think a good question next week to chat on Market Mondays is what this means for the soybean industry. You know, we're talking about seeing a lot of soy processing facilities coming online, but is it going to be quick enough and is the demand going to be there? I think that's a good question, Tanner, to ask ourselves. Yeah, that will be a good one for us to hang out and put in our reminder for Monday's conversation. Well, the last headline that I have is around Russia and Ukraine. Delaney, Russian armed forces might be running out of time to secure their battle-ready Leopard 2 tanks ahead of the predicted spring Russian invasion. Obviously, a lot of things right now are under basically freezing temperatures and unable to move. So Newsweek is reporting that Kiev has long called for these German-made battle tanks to be used in their armies as they defend their position from Russian forces. But it looks like if they try to get allies to send these tanks that have been committed, they still may not arrive in time to have an entire tank force put in place before spring arrives. France announced that it would send a fleet of their light tanks to Ukraine. The British prime minister also stated that uh, they would offer offer up main battle tanks too. The UK will send 14 Challenger 2 tanks according to this commitment. Uh, and then France will also continue to contribute. But the issue there, as we look at the spring temperatures and battle anticipated to ramp back up this spring, is what effects that's going to have on agriculture and the landscape for getting next year's crops planted. So it'll be quite interesting. Then the reports from the Russian side is that uh, Putin is trying to increase his body count in their forces. Mm -hmm. So looking to add extreme numbers of hundreds of thousands of soldiers to their army in preparation for this spring invasion as well. So I have a feeling here in a couple of months, we could see some significant fireworks happening in that battle between Russia and Ukraine. Well, Tanner, and one thing that might really spark some of those fireworks uh, is this latest report I just saw this morning, but Ukraine's interior minister is among those that have passed in the latest helicopter crash uh, because of a Russian missile strike. Ukraine's interior minister and I think one of his children were among at least 14 people killed on Wednesday when a helicopter crashed into a nursery that set it ablaze due to some missile strikes happening at that time. Dozens of other people were hurt, including a number of other children suffering burns and things of that nature. Um, But specifically here, the Ukrainian state emergency services said that 14 people have passed as of so far and government agencies had earlier published higher death tolls, but they said not quite there yet. But the interior minister that was on actually the helicopter specifically is one that passed and he was the most senior Ukrainian official to pass since the war has begun 
with the Russian invasion. So this could certainly be that uh, piece of news that stokes the fire there, Tanner. Absolutely. Well, Delaney, I'm out of headlines for today. So if you don't have anything else, it's probably time to catch where markets are at today. I agree, Tanner. Here at the midday, we are seeing some mixed train in the grade market as the March corn contract is up a penny and a half at 686 and three quarters. New crop corn up two pennies as well at 605 and three quarters. At the midday, March soybeans down six and a half cents on the day at 1533. New crop soybeans are down four and three quarters cents on the day at 1389. As we hop over here to take a look at the wheat pits, March hardbread winter wheat is up six and a half cents today at 8.62 and a quarter. And as we turn over here to the livestock markets, we're seeing actually quite a bit of unchanged trade on the day. February live cattle are flirting right with neutral today, right at that buck 57 mark. March feeder cattle are down just a nickel at $1.8125. And February lean hawks down $1.02 and a half on the day at 77.42 and a half. Tanner, without further ado, we are talking weather today on the podcast. I got that mixed up. I was thinking it was coming later in the week, but we're talking weather today. So let's turn it over to that conversation with Justin Gleason. Well, listeners, just like we promised, we're going to talk weather today. So I have Dr. Justin Gleason here. He is the state climatologist for the state of Iowa. We are very pleased and have the great pleasure of having him on. So welcome, Justin. Thank you, Tanner. Nice to be with you. So you are probably never not busy because the weather is always changing. And here we are sitting in the middle of the state with an impound or incoming snowstorm. Yeah, incoming snowstorm. Uh, weather is interesting across the state. We had two tornadoes, in fact, in eastern Iowa just the other day, which the earliest calendar year tornadoes for the state on record, but also the first January tornadoes since uh, January 24th, 1967. So definitely it's been an exciting few days. Yeah, no kidding. We are, I'm sitting down here hosting at the North American Conservation and Drainage Expo in Des Moines sitting down here at Hy-Vee Hall, and we had some people that drove past, turned over semis on the interstate, and they swear that they just missed one of those tornadoes by about 45 minutes. So glad to hear that everybody was safe, though. Absolutely. Yeah. It's always uh, gratifying when we do have severe weather events that people are aware and that uh, they're not impacted. Yeah. So at the beginning of today's show, I kind of hit on a couple of headlines, obviously with the limited resources that we have, but uh, our friends in Nebraska are looking at substantial accumulations. Looks like the northern part of the state. What What is the extent of this snowstorm that's traveling throughout the Midwest? Yeah, great question. So the uh, the forecast models locked in on this about a week ago. You know, there's always variability in the track of a, a low pressure system in winter, but it looks like those northwestern reaches of of Iowa will get some substantial uh, snowpack anywhere from six to 10 inches locally, 12 inches of that wetter type of snow. That's where you get a, a liquid equivalent basically 12 inches of snow, one inch of water. So you get some good amount of water out of that. And why that's important is that northwestern part of the state is the driest part of the state where we have that D3 and D4 drought. Uh, further south towards Des Moines, a, a transition over to a wintry mix, maybe some rainfall at initiation of the precipitation event. And then further south of us uh, along the Missouri border, basically rain, maybe some uh, uh, freezing rain. But overall, an impactful system for the northwestern part of the state, less impactful as we move into the center part of the state, but still we, we could see some travel impacts uh, later in the day today. 
Yeah, and that, that's what's hope, happening right here in the Midwest. We reported last week, obviously, California is digging themselves out of mudslides caused from uh, torrential rains. And I believe a, a bomb cyclone on their direction. We've had high winds in the south and southern plains. But a lot of our listeners want to know, what's this weather pattern going to start looking like? Are we in a La Nina pattern? Are we wh- Where are we headed? Yep, Tanner, that's correct. We're in a La Nina pattern right now, and it's the third consecutive year of La Nina going back to 1950 when we really started keeping records of ENSO, which is the El Nino Southern Oscillation, which La Nina is a cold phase of, and El Nino is the warm phase. Uh, We've only had three events in which we've had three consecutive years of La Nina. So anomalous behavior uh, going back to 2020. You look at drought start to expand in May and June in Western Iowa and then into Nebraska. We're in the third year of drought. This goes hand in hand with some of the La Nina features that we see, a more active uh, tropical season in the Atlantic and the Gulf. You have uh, hurricanes and tropical systems making landfall in the mid-Atlantic states, blocking off the moisture gate into the upper Midwest so we don't get as much moisture and hence the D1 through D4 drought conditions that we see across the upper Midwest. Now, interestingly enough, it looks like La Nina will hang around through winter. And typically what that means in the weak La Nina phase in which we are, and weak meaning that the sea surface temperature anomaly in the Pacific is cold, but not extremely cold. And that impacts where the jet stream sets up over the United States. Typically in La Nina winters, we see a bullseye of above average wetness in the Ohio Valley and the Great Lakes, and then over to the Pacific Northwest, drier conditions across the southern states. Iowa is right in the middle of that those two interfaces, so it really depends on where that storm track sets up. But in terms of snowfall potential in weak La Nina years, we do expect a higher snowpack. So with the remaining days of January getting into February, if La Nina does hold out to be true in those analog years that we see, we should see above average snowpack, which could be good as we get into uh, late winter, uh, early spring as we start to thaw out. Yeah, that is a great load of information for our listeners. And it's interesting that, you know, it's very rare that we get three consecutive years in a row and that we're getting into a weakening point. And it's so hard to base farming decisions on such long range forecasts. What what advice do you have for producers that might be concerned that either their drought is extending or that, you know, maybe they're hopeful that this is the year they get to revitalize and and build back up their soil moisture profile? Yeah, excellent. Excellent question, Tanner. So we know that the extent of drought across the state, uh, Western Iowa seeing that D1 to D4 around Sioux City, we know given the precipitation deficits, the soil moisture deficits as well, along with stream flows, lower stream flows and lower river levels on the Missouri and the Mississippi side, that drought will continue into a spring and even into summer given these longer term precipitation deficits on the order of 15 to 25 inches in western and northwestern Iowa. So drought will continue unless we get into an extremely wet stretch. Now, we talked about La Nina hanging around into winter. Well, the climatological models are suggesting at an 82 percent probability of a transition from La Nina into what's called ENSO neutral into uh, springtime. Enso neutral is right in between El Nino and La Nina, so near normal sea surface temperatures in the tropical Pacific. The atmosphere actually will decouple if Enso neutral happens, so it won't it won't sense any uh, 
anomalies in the Pacific in terms of cold or warm, what we what we would see with La Nina or El Nino. And hence, uh, when we do look at analog years or years in which ENSO neutral has been uh, uh, the, the dominant uh, cycle in the Pacific, or less dominant, uh, given that it's not a phase, we do see higher probabilities of wetter to near normal uh, precipitation through March, April, May. Uh, and uh, those analog years, again, go back to 1950. If we do an average of those analog years since 2000, colder than average temperatures also as we get into the growing season. Uh, so knowing that the potential is there for a, a near normal or slightly wetter pattern, uh, compounded with the current drought conditions and the um, diminishment of the soil profile tank. We don't have a lot of water in those profiles. Luckily, towards the end of November into early December, before the profiles froze, we did get some good rainfall events. With some moisture in the tank, the frost levels aren't able to get as deep. So if we do get a good snowpack on the ground, we will have infiltration as we get into spring thaw. So yes, uh, it's almost a juggling act when we we talk about short-term improvement versus longer-term drought conditions. But as we talk to our farmers and, and ag stakeholders across the state, we'll need several months, if not more than a year, to really uh, extinguish the drought conditions that we see in the driest parts of the state. Right. And that, you know, probably one of the last questions I want to get out of you today is we report a lot on our farmer listeners that rely on the Colorado River, obviously another area that's uh, seen record low levels and some severe drought as uh, you track that entire area. But we've got some positive news. As we stated, a lot of rain hit California. The snowpack is above the levels it's historically been for this time of the year. Does this look like a year that those listeners get to maybe rebuild back some of their water resources? As of right now, yes, it's looking very hopeful. A lot of those reservoirs uh, on the west western part of the United States are fed by snowpack. So seeing snowpack 100%, 200% of normal for this time of year is, is reassuring, but it's also you know, we have to be cognizant that we probably have about 60% of the snowpack season to go. So we would need this, this type of behavior that we're seeing on the West Coast to continue. Uh, we had an atmospheric river that fed a lot of moisture, anomalous amounts of moisture on the West Coast, and you're, you're getting rainfall and precipitation events uh, on a, you know, two to three day cycle where you're seeing precipitation totals that you would see six or seven months. So uh, again, mega drought in on the West Coast, you have a lot of burn scars from uh, historic forest fires. You're not getting a lot of moisture soaking in, but you are getting more inputs into those reservoirs and into the Colorado River system. So yes, uh, long story short, it's looking much better than, than it did last year. And we can hope that perhaps this will continue at a less extreme rate. That's great, Dr. Justin. We appreciate you spending your time here. If our listeners want to track your resources and uh, definitely your forecasting abilities, how's best that they keep in touch with you? Yeah, great question, Tanner. So uh, a few ways. Google Iowa Climatology Bureau. It'll bring you to the Department of Agriculture and Land Stewardship's climatology site. Uh, we've built it out to have all those uh, historic reports, uh, monthly reports, climatological outlook, soil moisture, soil, soil temperatures, all those different things. My direct office line is 515-281-8981. And my email address is justin.glisson, G-L-I-S-A-N, at iowaagriculture.gov. Hey, this has been a pleasure. We thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Thank you, Tanner. It's been nice to be with you. 
Well, that was very timely, Delaney. It's always nice to get some perspective and get some great questions answered for us there as well. Listeners, we appreciate you hanging out. Don't forget to check us out on social media, Instagram, like, give us some uh, topic ideas. Maybe there's some trade shows you'll be attending and want us to come hang out or meet you there. So just let us know, right, Delaney? Absolutely, Tanner. We'll be at lots of those events coming up this winter, so shoot us a note. But Tanner, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let the people go. 